You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And welcome back to the Try, Fail, Learn podcast, the podcast all about professionals and the lessons they've learned through the years. In today's episode, we have Rex Allen, the founder and creative director of Stoke. So without further ado, let's get into it. Rex, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, let's get into it. Yeah, so I'm Rex Allen, a career mechanical engineer turned marketer and content creative and branding guy. So uh, yeah, I gave up the old engineering career about a year ago and went full-time in my own business running a business called Stoke. Um, so creative agency for brands doing all sorts of branding and content. So stoked stoked to be here on the show <laughs> and uh, hang out with Josh and, and kind of chat a little bit. Yeah, man. That's cool. That's cool. So the reason I wanted to have you on this show specifically, you and I connected and had a call, uh, was it two, two months, three months ago? It wasn't yeah, that long ago. Like that. Yeah. yeah. So we were just chatting about, you know, marketing in general and your story stuck out. And I've met like two or three people after I spoke with you who have a similar path, but going from an engineering background to a marketing background. And in my head, those seem completely unrelated <laughs> and not at all similar. So let's talk yeah. about, you know, college, education. Let's talk about the reason why you went and got a mechanical engineering degree. Just go ahead and fill us in with college life. Uh, yeah. So when I, let's see. So I served a mission for my church um, two years in Russia. And when I, I guess before that, I had decided to become a mechanical, mechanical engineer for some reason. Hmm. Nope. I don't know. It was just kind of like planted a bug in my head, right? A lot of people that end up being engineers come from engineer families, right? Their dad's an engineer, their grandpa's an engineer, like they're just used to having engineering in their life. Okay. Um, but I did not, right? So like my dad liked to tinker with things and and I grew up liking to tinker with things. Um, but as far as like engineering goes, you know, there wasn't really any engineering in my immediate family. You know, I've got cousins that are software engineers and, you know, we're all a bunch of smart people or whatever, you know, so like going into that engineering field and having to do a ton of math and all that work, like wasn't that intimidating. But I remember some guy came over to my house um, that my parents knew or something and like talked to me about doing engineering in school. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. You know, so like I started off as a freshman and like started taking engineering classes and like never really looked back until, you know, 15 years down the road, <laughs> I've looked back pretty seriously now. But, you know, back then I was like full steam ahead um, becoming an engineer. So I, I, I lucked out and I started working as an intern, 
um, an intern that they treat like a engineer on the team, um, at, you know, during my freshman summer of, of college. Right. So I got to work my whole way through college as an engineer, which was really cool. Um, yeah. and, and my, my whole engineering career was very design focused, right? So developing products and being creative and doing that creative design stuff, which kind of got the wheels turning for where I ended up now, right? So, you know, all through college doing creative design, product design, uh, machine design, all sorts of design stuff. And then when I graduated college and got out into the, the engineering field, I, I jumped out of the medical device industry and got into firearms engineering, um, developed pistols and silencers and rifles and all sorts of cool stuff there. Yeah. And in developing products for an industry that I was passionate about and an active participant, you know, as a shooter myself, I always jumped at opportunities to go hang out with marketing teams, um, whether that was doing video production for product releases or helping out with creating 3D assets to go along with things like that. So I just kind of had a knack for being that liaison between the engineering team and the marketing team to help them create assets. Um, so, I mean, with a quick hand wave of like how I got from there to now, I mean, it was just like I, I, I hung out with marketing teams inside companies and kind of realized that they had all the fun. And they did the stuff that I liked to do. So on my free time, instead of reading engineering books and getting really, really good at engineering, I mean, I, I still think I was pretty decent, but like mm. I was teaching myself the Adobe Creative Suite and all this other stuff that, um, you know, a typical engineer wouldn't care about at all. Right. And, and right. that just kind of led to this natural progression towards the creative world rather than the engineering world. Yeah. Something that I didn't realize, and I talked to somebody recently where they said, you know, oftentimes when you talk to an engineer, they are very creative people. And on the surface, when you think of engineering, you think, you know, somebody's really good at math and very, you know, straight laced and by the book. And there's not much deviation. When you think of somebody who does design, you think of the opposite in every possible way. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like very emotional, very just guided by the way they feel. But when you look at what an engineer does, and I, I think you would echo this, there is a lot of creativity in problem solving. Um, and in mechanical yeah. engineering, my best friend is an electrical engineer, worked for Lockheed Martin, and now he owns his own business building out camper vans. Dude's using a lot of creative problem solving, trying to fit a whole yeah. house inside of a van. So yeah. what do you think the the main keys of you know your engineering degree and also your time as an engineer, how do you think that plays into, you talked about being around people who do design, but what do you think the yeah. skills that you developed there as an engineer, which ones best played into now developing Stoke? Yeah, so I think as an engineer, um, all through engineering school, I mean, an engineering education doesn't really give you a whole lot of depth into any subject that you study, right? It's all kind of a surface level of like, this is the world of engineering. And inside any facet of any of these classes you take, you could go 10 miles deep, you know, getting PhD mm. level degrees, sure. you know, getting really specified in that one thing, right? So in that kind of surface level technical degree that you get as an undergraduate in mechanical engineering, you, you really focus on a, applying your problem solving skills to problems within the subset of each class that you take, right? So that overall education that you get is really about identifying problems, applying the scientific method to break down those problems, figure out what you have control of, what you don't know, and then go solve for what you don't know, right? So sure. that skill is so ingrained into your brain after five years of just like plugging through that over and over and over again to all of these different problems that you get really good at solving problems, right? Right. And when presented with any new situation or a new problem, whether that's an engineering problem or a design problem or a working with a client problem, if you have enough time, you can apply that whole method to it and find solutions that work, right? Using that kind of same education. Sure, a lot of yeah. times, a lot of times when you're running your own business, you don't have enough time to go a mile deep on every little problem, right? So you, you know, as best you can, you use those skills that are just kind of dormant in there to kind of make your best way through it. Um, but I think being a creative problem solver, probably more than anything, I'm just having the confidence that any situation that I'm presented with, I can figure out a way to get it done. And having that mentality has, has helped me be successful as I take on project work with clients that are kind of all over the map as far as industries they're in or the type of work that they need help with. You know, I'm pretty able to 
fluctuate in and out of all sorts of different creative facets to help clients out. Right. Something that I struggle with is this aspect of of ownership. Whenever you're you're on a team and somebody has a small portion to play in a, a product from the time it's being you know conceptualized to developing to then released, right? What no matter what it is, um, people tend to be motivated if they feel an ownership in that product. And yeah. I don't know the engineering process. I don't know how it works in engineering firm. So this is completely <laughs> a completely ignorant question. But would you say that right? Because with Stoke, you are there from the beginning of the idea isn't even born yet to a finished product and you see it through from beginning to end as you know i know you're you're trying to hire your first employee here with stoke um but really everything is done you know rex allen has complete control over everything and does it all but with engineering in in a firm do you get that same kind of beginning to end satisfaction of ownership yeah i think i think a lot of that depends on on the size of the company you're working in right so we're talking about ownership we're talking about your effort and i guess influence into what a product ends up becoming right so if you're working for boeing you have no influence over what the ultimate result of the 747 looks like right None, right you have some control over like this bolt that holds the wheel onto the <laughs> onto the axle or whatever right yeah like, yeah one thing but like you have no control over the total picture right and then as the company gets smaller and smaller and smaller as an engineer, you definitely get more and more and more influence over what that ultimate product looks like, right? So when I started at Silencer Co., we had 450 employees, but our engineering team was like three full-time designers, right? So mm-hmm. we had very direct influence over everything that we produced because we were the guys that were touching everything, right? And we would work right. collaboratively to produce products. So there was a lot of that sense of ownership where like things that come out of your brain end up on the final product and end up in video games and, you know, all sorts of all over the place. And you have a very good sense of ownership um, for the ideas and the concepts. But at the same time, you have zero ownership or reward out of the, the commercial success of the product, right? So you get paid your salary, whether or not the product flops or whether it's a wild success, which is good and bad, right? So right. you know, have less risk. I mean, ultimately you always have risk in as, as an employee because you sure. could get fired at any moment, right? Or laid off or the company could fold or whatever, right? So there's this false sense of security that you have as an employee, but like if you kind of put that aside, um, there's not as much risk tied to the success of a product when you're an employee, right? So, you know, right. the, the Silencer Co. Maxim 9 pistol, right? Like nobody knows that Rex Allen had a big influence in what that became, right? Like nobody knows who I am, but people in the industry know who Silencer Co. is right. and what that pistol is. So the company gets all of the recognition, but at the same time, they're the ones taking the risk for the most part. Um, right. So it's definitely a unique balance there versus like now, if I were to say, okay, I'm going to develop a silencer and create a silencer brand called Mute Silencers, which I may or may not already have, um, like I own all of that, right? So if if the product goes well and all of a sudden sales go wild, um, then I reap all of the benefits of that versus if I'm just a contracted employee, like I fulfill my contract work and then they go out and make millions of dollars off of the product. So yeah, ownership as an engineer is definitely an interesting thing, right? Cause you, I mean, it, it's really interesting when you like get hired onto a new company, like you are essentially giving them everything that's inside your brain. Um, you like, fill out a disclosure of like, these are my patents. These are my previous inventions. These are all the ideas that I had before I started working here that you can't steal from me. And then the second they start paying you, they essentially own anything that comes out of your brain. So it's like kind of scary, right? Like, like if you're inspired by something at work, like technically they own that idea that you were inspired to have. Right. So it's this really weird balance of, ip ownership and and where that gets assigned and who owns it but like when you're an employee as an engineer like (laughs) you're selling your brain (laughs) it's really it's really kind of a weird thing interesting i didn't know that yeah that's bizarre too because you look at like you would think that when designers come on right in in graphic design or, or um 
really any role in marketing that the same thing would apply. But that's not always the case um, in a lot of places there you can have several you know, side hustles, so to speak. Right. And you could, you can come with all kinds of things and they're yours still. Yeah. Yeah. So as an engineer, like the, the, you know, cause I started, I started doing Stoke stuff, you know, while I was still an employee. Right. And I had a very open agreement with my, you know, my boss at the time to like, Hey, we have a gentleman's handshake. I'm not going to work on anything competitive. Um, just kind of the happenstance of how it all happened. Like I just ended up not having a non-compete. Mm. Um, so that kind of helped. There was no legally binding that I had that said I couldn't do stuff. Um, so we just kind of had a gentleman's handshake. But previously, my whole entire career, I have always had an active non-compete. Um, so without explicit permission from my employer, I couldn't really use my skills um, to do any sort of side hustling or side gig work. And a few occasions I wanted to and like had a client that wanted to pay me to do work. And I asked my employer like, hey, can I do this? And they're like, nope. Wow. So it was it was a really, you know, it was a really interesting situation. And, you know, as I'm looking to hire someone, like I certainly understand that, you know, like if I hire someone to be a graphic designer for my business, it kind of gets gray if they're out soliciting that same work that's kind of in competition with, you know, me as an employer or as the owner of Stoke, I would also go after that same work, right? So it's like competing against your employer right. um, is never a good idea. But for me, like when I, one of the reasons I kind of branched off from like trying to do engineering consulting was it just made more sense and it was a lot more cut and dry of like, hey, you're paying me to be an engineer. Like I'm over here doing marketing and creative and making videos and like that's totally not different. in competition. So as long right. as I didn't work with a competitor of the company, then I was kind of good to go, you know, according to that verbal agreement that we had. Right. Interesting. I think it's what's cool about the fact that you got right, you're in engineering and you're working in like the firearms industry. And I think that that gives you a unique perspective into marketing inside of that industry, right? With Stoke now. Yeah. And um, like similar to me, when I was working at the, our local airport, the Sanford Orlando International Airport, um, I would on my time off would go grab my camera out of my car and come out and I would shoot videos for the marketing team of the airport. And yeah. there were a lot of times where I would like have to explain to the marketing team how an airport works because they're hired on from, you know, the medical industry or one yeah. lady was from like broadcast television. She knew nothing about how airports work, but I had worked in the airport since I graduated high school, you know what I mean? In all kinds of different yeah. jobs. It gave me a really unique perspective to help that team understand what an airport does. So like with you coming out of firearms industry, does that help you get more gigs or contracts with people in the firearms industry for marketing with Stoke? Yeah, I mean, I would say yes and no. So I, I think probably, I mean, if I had to guess, probably half of my, my clientele has come from that industry, you know, connections that I previously have had or, you know, people that knew people that knew people. Um, so, so a lot of that has come from connections from the firearm industry. And then a portion of that are, you know, people who used to be in the industry and are now working somewhere else. But because we have that tie and that connection that I end up doing work for them there. Um, but at the same time, like having that experience definitely has proved to be very valuable. So one of my like coolest clients right now is a company that's in kind of the crypto web 3.0 world. Oh, okay. Um, and we're creating NFTs based on like firearm CAD data, right? So it's like this perfect mesh of like my engineering background and my creative background. And ultimately, like that's why I got approached to do the job was because this guy, I actually had interviewed with him, you know, when I was kind of in this transitionary phase and turned down a job offer with him as graciously as I could, right? But he, <laughs> he kind of knew that I was going off to start my own company. And in doing that, you know, he knew that I was in this creative space, but he also knew about my engineering background, you know, so he calls me up and he's like, dude, I think I got the perfect project for you. It's going to be big. It's going to be all this stuff, but it's like this mesh between the engineering and the creative world. So I've been able to come into that and really like blow them away with what I've been able to produce. And it, it's been pretty fun to be able to kind of bridge the gap between those two worlds. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's important to to know where your strengths are and know what you know and know what you don't know. And especially like with you, like there's a lot outside of firearms industry. I'm not going to make it seem like, you know, you're only in firearms, but it's important to play to your strengths, especially when you're trying to build, you know, a new company or a new brand to to definitely utilize that network that you already have standing. Um, yeah. Speaking of the firearms industry, um, outdoors, firearms is kind of like a, a faux pas topic in today's yeah. day, right? And especially as yeah. a you know, a freelance videographer, designer, whatever, you know, as a company with Stoke, anybody who's trying to get contract work, um, having firearms industry cannot always, you know, benefit you um, having that on yeah. your resume. So can you just talk about how that has helped and how it hasn't helped? Yeah, I, I would definitely say it's mostly not helping. Um, I mean, for those that don't know and and are maybe familiar with other industries that are kind of in the same boat, like, firearms companies or companies that are related to the firearms industry are very you know very akin to like cannabis right so we, we have a lot of the same restrictions as far as like you know what we're able to do as far as running ads i mean ads are virtually non-existent on any of the mainstream social platforms right so like as far as like running a marketing agency and trying to get firearms clients like anything that a traditional agency would do is like not game for us right so we can't run ads so like our strategy has to be drastically different than than other people right so you've got that going against you and then you also kind of have all of the big social media platforms that have I don't even know what you'd call it, like shadow banned our entire industry, right? So when you kind of get on the radar of big social as a firearm junkie or whatever, right? You get this little black mark on the back end of your account and they just make it harder for you to grow, you know? So you, know, you just don't get that viral outreach that you can if you're not associated with that, you know, shadow banned industry. So it definitely makes it difficult. Um, to, to run a marketing agency inside the firearms industry. Right. So I've actually made a relatively conscious de decision to kind of separate Stoke from the firearms industry. So I've got a, another brand called Max Effective that is my, you know, it's a licensed federal, I have a, a federal firearms license and I'm a, a gun shop. We'll call it a gun shop, you know, like I yeah, don't have a right. physical gun shop, <laughs> a license to be a gun shop. Um, and, and that was always one of my dreams is to have a legit one, but I've kind of pivoted and turned that brand into the, the, essentially it's the Stoke for the firearms industry, right? So there's a little bit of a, a separation there to where Stoke isn't really doing firearm stuff. I'm doing firearm stuff, but I'm, I'm showcasing all of that through this max effective brand instead mm -hmm. of through Stoke to kind of shield Stoke from having any of that you know, black mark on any of my social accounts or, or getting shadow banned or, or whatever, you know, content throttled. Right. Right. Which plays into an interesting topic of, you know, censorship and, and big tech that we don't have to get into today because it's kind of a, a can of worms <laughs> to unpack. Yeah. I'm having uh, Brad Luttrell on uh, the podcast here uh, in a couple of weeks. So he and I will yeah. inevitably unpack that topic of discussion. So yeah, for um, sure. But in talking about right marketing, and, and we've already had Justin Rowe on this podcast and Nick Jetta, who are really big in the marketing space. Um, let's bring up LinkedIn. Let's talk about this. So the reason yeah. you and I met through LinkedIn, um, yeah. and that is a space that I, I tell everybody, I don't, I don't like social media other than LinkedIn. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not very prevalent on, on Instagram or anything like that, which probably is not very good for somebody who does video and photography work. <laughs> yeah, we both probably ought to be on Instagram a little more than we are for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, but LinkedIn to me is not just a safer space, but for me, it's more focused. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. it doesn't have a, such a, a broad outreach that you just kind of get lost in nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's, it tends to be very focused on, you know, professional work and, and doing things that will benefit people, not necessarily just there to sell a product, you know? Yeah. And um, so with LinkedIn, right? And obviously, as a content developer or designer, most of your business is business to business. Um, what does LinkedIn play? What role does LinkedIn play in growing Stoke? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you, you bring up an interesting point there talking about, you know, whether you're a business to business company, B2B, or you're a B2C, you know, or direct to consumer or whatever, right? Like at the end of the day, all businesses are P2P businesses, right? Mm -hmm. So people to people. So like I don't sell my service to some unnamed no people industry AI robot that's like, yes, we want to purchase from Stoke, right? Like that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> right? So like I connect with a person that has influence at a business, right? So maybe they're a business owner or maybe they're a marketing director or whatever, right? So I'm connecting with people on LinkedIn and those people have either their own purse strings or they're in control of the purse strings of the business, right? They've got a budget and they're looking to engage some sort of service, right? So um, unique is kind of unique. LinkedIn is unique because it's virtually untapped. I mean, not completely, but it's still very new in that creators are starting to get on LinkedIn right. and market their business, which is a, a portion of why you do it, I guess. But like another portion is just to help other businesses either learn the stuff you learn or kind of position yourself as that solution when they're ready to start paying for it, you know, that that they think of you instead of someone else, right, through your content. So my goal on LinkedIn is, you know, not not unique by any means, but I think it's it's refreshing compared to a lot of the other social media channels in that I'm constantly trying to provide free value to people so that they can essentially learn to do what I do for free, right? right. So I'm I'm giving away everything that I know. I mean, and certainly like there's a limit to how much time I can put into it because at the end of the day, like I have to do things that make money, right? For sure. Um, but as much as I can, I'm just giving away my knowledge and experience and insights on LinkedIn for free, you know, in efforts to help people be able to do the things that I could do for their business, do it for themselves, right? And inevitably, a couple things happen there. You know, maybe they start getting people to start doing anything on their own is the hardest part, right? So a lot of the soapboxes I get on are like, hey, start making videos for your brand or start doing this or start doing that, right? And some of the people like have started and it's been really cool to kind of see how my influence has helped people get over the hump to either help their business forward or help their personal brand forward to kind of give them a leg up, you know, when they enter the job market or if they're looking for a new job or whatever, you know. Um, so LinkedIn is this kind of new space and it's it's transitioned for me like forever. I thought it was just like you go post your resume on there and like keep, you know, your job history up to date with a bunch of bullet points that talk about what you did at all these jobs. And like I've always had the employee mindset on LinkedIn. Right. You know, to where I wasn't ever really using it as a social media tool at all. You know, I've only recently since starting Stoke have I even started to to be active on LinkedIn at all. You know, so over the right. last year, you know, I've connected with almost 2000 new people in a year, wow. you know, and like, it's pretty, it's pretty insane, you know, how much my LinkedIn experience has changed from when I started posting and started getting active on the platform. Cause when I did, you know, it had the old Rex, everything, you know, so it was just my engineering resume and all of my connections were either engineering coworkers or salespeople that sell crap to people who have engineering director on their title or whatever, you know? So yeah, I had a lot of really weird, irrelevant connections for what I was trying to do. I mean, go figure, you know, you're going to pivot your career three, yeah. 360 and like you're going to run into that, you know. But over the last year, it has really changed. And recently, I mean, LinkedIn has started to become a business tre treasure trove to where the content that I've been creating, there's all these people that that see that and don't interact, right? And I think that's probably one of the biggest like nuggets of advice that I would have for people who are thinking about getting started on LinkedIn is like, yeah, you're going to have those people who are kind of in that creative mindset on there. And those for the most part are going to be the people that interact with your posts, right? So the Rexes and the Joshes out there are going to be in there liking and commenting because we get it, right? right? We understand because we are creating, we understand what a like means and what it means when you click see more or what it means when you comment like that helps the other creator. So, so 
as we are interacting, we are commenting, we're adding value every chance we get on the platform, right? Right. But there's all these other people on there that are not doing that. They don't know that that even exists. They don't know why you would interact. They're just not activated, right? And like, you have to remember that those people are watching your content and they're seeing it. And you have to remember that you're speaking to those people and not just the other active people on LinkedIn. Right. So, I mean, just... I want to say this was last week, right? I made a post and a guy liked it that I had never seen interact with my content ever, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who is that guy? Like, we're connected, right? Because I'm kind of of the idea that you just connect with anybody that reaches out and I try to reach out to people I think are interesting and sure, just to connect and stay in touch with their content and whatever, right? So me and this guy were already connected. So, you know, first degree connection. I click on his profile and I see that he runs like a pretty cool company. And I'm like, huh, that's neat. Like, I just want to meet him, you know, kind of like I met you. Yeah. And I just messaged him and reached out. I was like, hey, tell me a little bit about your company. Like, I see you're out there in Idaho. That's cool. I've got some friends up there, blah, 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 right? Just pretty simple. First time I'd ever messaged the dude, even though we were already connected, right? Right. Messages back and says, Rex, we have been following your LinkedIn content for a long time. We really like it. Um, we would love to have a chat. Let me introduce you to my director of marketing. So the director of marketing reaches out, friend requests me. We set up a meeting like two days later, talk about their business, talk about what I do, what they do, what they're looking for, where they're at. You know, the alignment was like perfect because their firearm company looking for help with kind of brand strategy and identity and stuff like that. And then down the road content. And like we signed, we we had a verbal agreement of a contract on the first phone call. Wow. Had a contract signed within two days and like they're a new client. Right. So we went from like didn't even know who they were on the face of the planet to like new contract in the course of a week, all because of me being an active participant on LinkedIn and sharing value for free, teaching people how to do what I do, teaching people how I think like it's magical. Like it's so cool. (laughs) So like anybody who's not, who's if you're seeing this and you're not on LinkedIn, which is unlikely because people who are going to see it for me are going to be on LinkedIn probably for you the same. Right. But like if you're watching this and you're not active on LinkedIn, Get active on there. Even if you're an employee, like that can turn into such a huge asset for your career that like, I can't even imagine not being on LinkedIn now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk to different people and their philosophies, right? And you have people like yourself who like give out all of the free information, right? Give the whole system out. This is how I do everything. Totally transparent. And Justin Rowe is the same way. He gives out all of his content for for free. Just tells everybody, hey, here's the model. He literally made a post, said, this is everything that we do. This is the entire, the whole model, blueprint, take it, steal it. And he said in the podcast, it's all about time versus money, right? If you have more time, then you're going to put the time in to learn it. But if you have the revenue to support it, you will. And a lot of people have different philosophies when it comes to developing content or what they're doing on LinkedIn, right? And in your case, you're giving out information for free and you're hoping that that exactly what that interaction was, is what happens, right? That that people see your content, they see the value you have to provide, and eventually it translates into somebody coming on board to be a new client. And then you have people like Nick Jetta who do the very same thing, right? They're, they're producing content with the hopes that those people will either get value from their content, but ultimately for their business, come on board and become a new client. And then you have people like me, who don't have any of those things, who don't have a clear <laughs> a clear landing place for customers. And I'm fine with that now, right? I'm still growing. I'm still developing. Yeah. That's part of what this podcast is learning from people who have done this before me. Um, so I'm, I'm working on some things and I'm chewing on some things. I think I know what I'm going to do. But really, what you said about it being magical is so true. I mean, even for people like me who don't have a very clear place for people to land, it's still something that I grow and I benefit from, right? And I've learned tons and tons of things from yourself, from Nick Jetta, from, you know, Ben Owen, who's who's on LinkedIn and doesn't do, you know, a ton of marketing content, but more like leadership content and things with, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bunch of stuff with like, um, uh, with Flanders Fields and just helping people out with the, the Afghanistan evacuation and everything. And so there's a ton of stuff that you can learn and grow from the people on LinkedIn. It's not all about you know, dollars and cents 100% of the time, which I think is unique from Instagram. 
right? Where like Instagram is very much like you might convert somebody into a sale, but it's also like, hey, look at how great I am. Like, you know, I look really great. It's all about vanity. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, and link LinkedIn is special because, like, like, you don't have an avatar on LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could, and I'm sure people are like that on there. But, like, for the most part, it's, like, your real face, your real name attached to like the real company that you work for right like it's less i mean certainly like it's still kind of a highlight reel you know like sure i don't know like i i don't know that i find find a ton of value in like seeing everybody's like negative content right like i want to hear what's working for people and what's what's going good and stuff like that you know absolutely and the occasional like hey this is what i learned from like this mistake i made great but like you know instagram is just this like fairy tale highlight reel like look at my perfect edited picture of me on the beach with my family or whatever. And it's like, it's like not real life. Right. Whereas like LinkedIn, right. I feel like, like I can say, okay, I want to work. I mean, this just happened yesterday. I mean, this was all public. Right. So a guy named Gary bird had never heard of him before in my life. Right. He runs a dental marketing agency. It's like a eight figure business. Right. So like yesterday he posts like, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to, take my podcast videos and syndicate them into vertical videos for TikTok and YouTube shorts and Instagram reels. And I need somebody to do carousels for me on LinkedIn and carousels for Instagram and like all the stuff in my little radar is like, bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Dude, this is perfect for you. This is like exactly what you're good at. Right. Um, but I'd never heard of him. Right. So one of my friends, you know, contact that I had met on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. had a video call you know an intro call just to get to know him just like you and i did yeah i had already helped him get a client and he just comments and he's like rex dude this sounds like it's right up your alley right so i jump over there see the post i'm like oh my gosh this is a gold mine so i check out this guy his name's gary bird he runs like a marketing agency for dentists dental practices right so like hyper focused in on a niche right which like I probably should do at some point, but like not there yet, but whatever. Right. So I jump on his TikToks and I'm like, oh man, this guy's got some rad TikTok videos. Like he's doing good. Like I think this would be a fun, you know, content wise. Cause he talks a lot about entrepreneurship and leadership and all this stuff of like how to run an agency. I'm like, hmm. if I'm editing videos for this guy, like I'm going to soak up so much. Yeah. good information, right? So I'm like, I want to work for this dude. So I took one of his TikToks and I broke it down, you know, point by point. And I made, you know, I branded, you know, based on the colors in his TikTok videos and all that jazz, you know, I'd never seen his brand book or anything. Right. So just based on like my best idea, I like made a branded LinkedIn carousel kind of going through that TikTok of like, this is what he said in the TikTok. And it was like, you know, one of those swipey sure. carousel posts. And I posted it and like tagged him in it. And I was like, Gary Bird said this. So I made this. This is what I learned, blah, blah, blah. And like, he reaches out. He's like, holy freak, dude, that was so awesome. I'm going <laughs> to put you in touch with my project manager. So like we have this whole email chain going of like, wow, me starting to work with him, right? And then he goes on his TikTok account. I mean, it's a newer account, but he's got like 35,000 followers. Not bad. And he does this whole video. And he's like, he's like, flips up his cell phone. He's like, you want to know how to make a bunch of money for your company really fast? And then he like pulls up my LinkedIn profile. 
on the video and he's like, this guy Rex, I made a post and said I was looking for this. And he like opens my profile and he's like this guy and he scrolls down. And he's like, he looked at what I said I wanted. He actually did started doing the work of like what I said I needed. And like he sent it to me and like now we're going to we're going to start working together. You know, so it's just like all you people sitting on the sidelines just hoping business is going to come to you. It's not going to happen. Like you right. have to be proactive. Right. And like I'm busy. Like I didn't really have time to go do that, but like I really want to work with this guy. So I was just like, whatever. I'll just like stay up till midnight finishing <laughs> all the work that I didn't do because I was making this carousel for this guy. And like, I mean, we're not signed yet, but like I think we're headed towards that pretty quickly. You know, it's right. like one day. I, I've heard this said before, like on LinkedIn specifically, like you're one connection away or one DM away from your life completely changing. I want to right? see that on a t-shirt. That needs to be a Rex Allen or a Stoke t-shirt, man. Stoke Start running a merch brand right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. So I've got a, I've got a new guy. I think I've got a new guy like oh, awesome. all but hired. So like I'm drafting up an employment contract right now. And like, I think next week he's going to start. And wow. one of the things he's done a lot of in the past is merch design and stuff. So it's there definitely like a potential on the docket of like doing some of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, if nothing else, that that T-shirt I want to see come out because I want it. I want it. <laughs> so you bring up a good point about working for free. So let's talk about um, a lot of people do not like the idea of giving creative work, doing exactly what you did for that guy. Right. You didn't have a contract. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to pay. You just went on your own and you did this carousel for free for this guy did research did an yeah. outline everything like that's a yeah. lot of work i don't know how long it took you yeah but that's not like a yeah i mean re, re, especially like be building a branded carousel right i could have made one according to my brand and it would have gone sure. a lot faster right but like doing the work that he was looking for going that next level made me stand out more than anybody else that wanted to work with him you know right which is a good point and i want people to realize that sometimes i wrote a, an article about this before i'd ever done anything with linkedin i was like not trying to but i wrote an article about working pro bono can really be that extra leg up that you need for contract work or even getting a job right signing on for your you know your nine to five doing a little bit of work to show your talent makes you stand yeah. out and being so restrictive yeah. with yourself and your talents that you say like, nah, I'm not going to do any work unless I get paid can be like the biggest killer to your ability to land a contract. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I think, I mean, going back to something that you said earlier in the call, like it comes down to time versus money, right? Like right. if your time, see what's the right word if you've got a lot of time and not a lot of money then do work for free right. <laughs> like you've right. got the time you don't have enough clients so like start there right but if you're the other way right you've got a lot of work you've got a lot of clients and you have no time like yeah don't work for free you know you, you're yeah. trading paid work versus not paid work so like don't do that right but like for example yesterday like I saw a pretty lucrative opportunity, right? The dude seemed really cool. So like, I just want to work with him because he seems cool. Yeah. Um, seems like he's got a cool company. I feel like I could learn a lot from working with him. But then at the same time, like I had an opportunity to kind of publicly talk about this whole thing, right? This idea of like doing free work or what, right? So like that wasn't totally altruistic of me just like doing free work for this guy, right? Like sure. I... I made a branded post for him and like left it branded just for his stuff that like if he wanted to post it, he could. Right. But like there was no conversation. So it doesn't perfectly match, you know, his branding and stuff because I had never seen the brand book. But now I have because they sent it to me because I like made an impression, you know. Right. But like I, I also, you know, put Gary Bird times Stoke at the top of the, one of the posts and I posted that carousel on LinkedIn and it's gotten three times the reach of a normal post, you know? So like mm. 5,000 people now have seen what I did yesterday. Dang. And like that stuff compounds and, you know, you jump on more calls and people are like, dude, you're good at what you do. We want to work with you, you know? And like, so I don't know. I don't work for exposure, right? People are like, yeah, do all this work for us and we'll, we'll, you know, exposure, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's the conversation we have all the time. Like, not going to do that. Right. Cause like yeah. if I make a video for XYZ brand, I'm not getting any exposure out of that. Like they're right. getting exposure cause it's their video. Right. They're not going to be like, check out this video that this guy made for us. It's going to be like, check out our cool video, you know? So like, right. 
working working for exposure is fake you know <laughs> but like it's not real like that's not a thing right so right. if that's the case then i would say yeah i don't do free work and trade for exposure because that just doesn't happen but like if there's an opportunity for you to do something that's going to help you get noticed by a super huge brand or whatever like do it right you got to get that train going and when it's stagnant and you're not getting clients in and you're not getting work you know presented to you sometimes you need to put in extra effort from somewhere else to get that process going and yeah. um yeah i mean things like branded videos that you do for other companies are not always great you know what i mean and i don't know if you saw it but i did a uh, the watch band i'm actually wearing right now right mm -hmm. i like shot this video for this company in california and it's just like a guy and his wife making these you know paracord watch bands but i i mm -hmm. love them i have two of them i love yeah. these bands and so i shot like a youtube short of their their watch right yeah <clears throat> i've I seen it this, they like freaked out they loved it they were super happy i think it's still on their website on their home page yeah. and then i made another one that kind of you know they sent me a free watch band and i made another one that's kind of more my style you know what i mean it was mm -hmm. more like you know dark and had dark this kind of like dark yeah. and moody kind of feel to it you know yeah. which i love <clears throat> yep and um I made it and I, I don't think they were that excited about it. I don't know if they might they're probably not going to ever listen to this, but they did not seem happy. They did not seem yeah. happy with the end product. But sometimes when you develop content for that, that person, right, that's only going to work for them. And when brand recognition kicks in, you can't really get exposure from somebody else's brand for your yeah. own brand. You know what I mean? If you're developing yeah. something with their brand in mind, even if your name's on it, it's not going to naturally convert most people over to like, oh, that little name there in the bottom corner, uh, Rex Allen. Oh, maybe I should look into him. Maybe he sounds yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah I mean, for work. example, like, like say that guy was like, oh yeah, I'll pay you by exposure by making a TikTok, right? Mm -hmm. Like his TikTok has had 5,000 views, right? Like that's pretty good. And like the whole entire post was about me. Right. Like right. my name's all over it. He talks about me. He tags me in it. Like there's no more exposure than you can ask for than that. Right. If I was like, hey, I'll make you a carousel if you make a TikTok about me, which wasn't the conversation. But if that was the conversation, he fulfilled on it. Right. Like he made a TikTok post all about me on his channel that's got 37,000 followers. Right. Right. So of those 5,000 views, I've gotten like three new people that followed me. So like exposure is freaking fake. Like it's it not is. real. Like right. people don't watch Gary Bird's content and then like see a video about Rex Allen and then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, that guy. They just right. don't do that. Right. So yeah, I mean, even don't, content. Don't right? let people do it, right? Don't yeah. let people try to pay you an exposure. It's no, fake. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I think man, it has to do a lot with, you know, what kind of content you're making. And this plays pretty well into my next point of like, you can get right. Everybody like back in the day, especially with like YouTube, everybody's like, Oh, I want a shout out. Like, give me a shout out, which is like, cool. Like that could help you. But the problem is that like, so I didn't, I didn't do hardly anything on LinkedIn that was good or significant. Didn't convert to anything. Didn't even grow until like two months ago, two or three months, right around when you and I met. And mm -hmm. it really kicked off with I just like got kind of like sick and tired of doing nothing and wanted to build a something that was my own. And so mm -hmm. I made this video that's just like really honest and transparent. It was kind of like grumpy. And it was just like, mm -hmm. I think New Year's resolutions are stupid. Like, I just think they're uh -huh. dumb. And yeah. um, and Ben Owen, like commented on it and was like, this is awesome. This guy's great. And like for the next several posts, I made comments on it and like grew my my reach and engagement which was great. And I was super excited, super grateful, Ben. Thank you so much. But really what he did was made more work for me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you can get all the shout outs you want, but if you don't like keep up on things, it's going to do you no good. You know what I mean? It's not going to do anything for you. And so consistency is a lot more important than I think people realize when it comes to LinkedIn or life in general. You know what I mean? Even when you sign contract work, if you're consistently gooding, good, putting out good work, consistently giving good communication, a person is going to work with you again. 
if they have yeah. a contract if they have something that they need your services for they're going to work for you again but if you're like kind of spotty on communication or you're late to meetings or whatever it is they're not going to and this is just a principle to life you know what i mean so yeah. if you're listening you're showing up late to work stop yeah show up <laughs> show up on that's literally the least amount of effort that you can put into your job but yeah. um when it comes to growing a business there's so much more than just consistency, right? And you can grow, but you hit a plateau. So what do you think your solution to growth that won't grow anymore with consistency? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I think consistency is super important. Like even on LinkedIn, like the more consistently you can show up, the more that snowball can roll down the hill. Right. Right. Um, but as a business owner, like you can only be consistent to a certain end and then you reach a, a, a peak. Right. So right now, like I am being limited by my bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Right. So like I currently do not have enough time to do all my client work and market my business and even think about working on my business, right? So I've kind of reached this plateau of just like, there's no more that I can do. Like there's not enough hours in the day for me to get everything done right now. So like I've reached a time plateau, right? Mm. And the only thing I can do at this point is like increase my rates up the wazoo and watch half my clients leave and like keep working with the ones that don't. Like that would be one way, right? Because I could free up half my time and, you know, I could do that or I can do that kind of and increase my bandwidth right so right that's what i've been focusing on right now is like i have this vision of like having a 20 person company where there's like some fun stuff going on all the time and like doing really good work and like it can't get to 20 if you don't get to two so right, <laughs> right now i'm on this mission to get from one to two and I think we're finally there and I'm really excited to see what that change brings, you know, for, for my clients. And then at the same time, you know, what it allows me to focus on because I'm not, you know, the only one being focused on fulfillment. So right. I'm excited to kind of see that change and hopefully it goes well and hopefully two becomes three and three becomes four and then four becomes five with Josh coming to <laughs> work for me. <laughs> I appreciate I tried that. And he keeps saying no, like a little punk. Yeah, right. I don't know if I want to leave Florida to go to Missouri, but uh, I appreciate the the vote of confidence there. I mean, you might be able to get out of the closet. You know, you can afford <laughs> you can afford some pretty cool stuff here in Missouri compared yeah. to what I imagine Florida is like real estate wise. Yeah, right. For reference, so that people understand, I work in a closet, not coming out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married to a woman happily. Thank you very much. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, that plays into the question of like, would you rather have like really like five really high paying clients or a thousand really low paying clients? And I, I see posts all the time of people who say like, oh, I'd rather have five like ballers who pay me like tons of money and I only focus on those five. But I've also heard of other people like, no, I'd rather package something small, take a small rate and reach more people with that. So there's really, I don't think there is a right answer to that question. It's just a matter yeah. of your business model. Um, but I think that when it comes to, I think what it boils down to is how much time you have as an individual. You know what yeah. I mean? Because if you're by yourself, obviously, yes, it's easier to have five people who pay crazy amounts of money because then you and your brain only have to track five people and what you're doing for those five clients. Yeah. But if you have a large company, you know, with 20 people, then it gets a lot easier to have multiple clients. You know, I mean, you can even put, you know, account managers over over certain clients yeah. and that's all they do is manage those people. And then you've created yeah. basically the same system, but on a larger scale. So really, yeah. I, I don't think there is a right answer to that that question, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, at this point, I really value the relationships I have with clients and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, for me to try to do a thousand of that would be impossible. Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, I don't have five that pay me a lot either. You know? so yeah. I'm kind yeah. of in this middle ground of like, you know, having all sorts of, you know, different clients with different needs. And, that, and that's one of the hard things about where I'm at. You know, I've been doing this for a year and I've grown and I've morphed as I've been going right and like still trying to find that sweet spot of like okay do I 
you know, it's just kind of, I've been joking, I've been saying this a lot, like flea flick. Do I flea flick the bad, bad clients or the clients that don't fit what I'm trying to accomplish and really hone in on like one offering that I can get really good at? Or do I kind of continue to just be all over the place? Um, I, I think it's fun being all over the place, you know, having clients that are, you know, focused cause, cause I do this, I do this whole range. I keep smacking this microphone. I do this whole range of like work, right? So mm-hmm. it starts from the brand identity and brand strategy all the way through the brand identity creation and visual assets for a brand. And then kind of once you cross that threshold of like releasing your brand to the world, and you've got your website and your logo and your identity and your mission statement and all that jazz, then we kind of cross this hump to where it's it's about content and disseminating your brand um, beyond that, right? So I kind of cover everything along that trajectory of establishing the brand and then supporting the brand. And it makes a lot of sense, I think, you know, from a longevity standpoint, it's like everything a business needs to become a business and then grow the business. But I've got clients that are all along that phase, right? So one day I'm over here, one day I'm over here, and sometimes I take an engineering job here and there, and it's just like all over the place, right? So for me, um, to some extent, focusing in would probably be beneficial. Right, which begs the question, you know, what is your niche and what's the benefit of niching down? Um, And I know that like, so I don't talk about what I do, um, my nine to five job a lot. Uh, but I work for a company that is a marketing firm in the high quality stone restoration industry, which every time I, t- I told somebody that this past weekend and they just stared at me like, what the heck does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? And so yeah. they have like gone so specific that it's it's an industry that absolutely has demand. You know what I mean? If you have marble countertops or granite countertops or you have marble all over your house, like in the floor or anything like that, then chances are good if you want to take care of your home, then you know that you need to hire a a high quality stone restoration expert. And so there's definitely a market for it. Um, So, I mean, yeah, you would probably benefit from from finding a, a niche, but I think that there can be too far down. I think that it's possible to definitely go too specific. You know, for example, one that I can think of is if you ran a company, I'll use airports because that's like my bread and butter. But if you if you had a company that was like, we clean the terminals of airports and that is all we do. And then you were the marketing firm that represented people who only did that. um, You might find one or two companies that would that would hire you for marketing because like a cleaning company is going to they're going to clean malls. They're going to clean airports. They're going to clean superstores. Yeah. They're going to, you know what I mean? There's going to be a wider range of that. But if you go so specific, you're going to stifle yourself out. And if you're too broad, you're not going to be able to yeah. hit anything. You know what I mean? You're just going to be throwing yeah. darts at the wall. I mean, yeah, with that example, if you're just like, I'm a cleaning company, who wants to just hire a cleaning company, right? Right. Like, are you a house cleaning company or a corporate cleaning company or a small business cleaning company or a mega corporation cleaning company? Right. Cause like those are probably appropriate niches. It's niche by the way, not niche. Oh my Um, bad. It's my my French side (laughs) coming out. (laughs) That's like, yeah, that's like a whole, a whole joke that seems like exists on the internet, but like, is that actually niche? I, it, it says both on the dictionary. Yeah, I think I think I've never even looked like it up. A more, a more like yeah, because I've had this conversation quite a few times. It says oh, both, okay. um, but I, I feel niche is a little bit more American. Oh well, now you're um, saying now I'm going to say niche for the rest of my life yeah, just because it bothers you. <laughs> yeah, do it. It doesn't bug me. I just think it's funny. Um, <laughs> but like that's probably an appropriate niche, right? To be like, okay, we are a, a cleaning company for large businesses or or whatever, right? Because like. You have the equipment and the the skills and the personnel and the the things needed to be able to go into a you know a high rise building and clean it, versus sure. like mom and pop like we clean houses like you're gonna have a lot different equipment and different specialties to go be a house right. cleaner than you are to be a corporate cleaner right? right so like having that differentiation in your business is probably not only needed but like necessary to be able to function and and you know, 
progress, right? So merry maids or whatever, like that's clearly a, their maids. They cl- come and clean houses versus whatever right. corporate cleaner, right? So, so for me, it's it's similar. Like you can either you can either niche down by industry, right? So I pick firearms industry. I mean, it seems like a lot of people do that, right? They mm-hmm. they say, okay, I'm in a marketing agency for dental practices or multi-site dental practices or whatever, right? I mean, right. you niche kind of by industry and then maybe even the type of business inside that industry. Um, or I'm a marketing agency, creative agency for firearm companies or for huge firearm companies or for small ones or whatever, you know? But like you can also niche by what your service offering is, right? So if I'm the only company, and not saying that I am, but if I'm the only company that offers brand strategy, brand identity, brand visuals and creation and then content creation if i'm the only agency that does that i can market that as my niche of like being a total package for a brand and that can be applicable to any industry right so kind of that's what i'm trending towards currently is just honing in on what that what that offer looks like and then how to package it up nicely so that people from different industries would see that and say oh yeah that's what i need you know right Right. And the reality is you run an operation so that you could really take over probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the entire content creation process from a firm that they wouldn't have to really do anything at all. That Stoke would just handle all of that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is definitely something that stands you apart. You know, I mean, if somebody asked you like what, you know, what makes you different from any other marketing agency I could interact with? I mean, that would be definitely a huge selling point. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not a marketing agency, you know, that that's what sets me apart. Like most mm. marketing agencies focus on analytical marketing and numbers and boring crap. Like I'm a creative agency, you know, like I, I can help you with, with the, you know, the marketing components, but that's not really my focus, you know? So mm. me being able to, to do the create like most marketing agencies are not creative right maybe they have a component that's creative but like they're not a creative agency full of designers and video people and kind of people that are they're made to make things right they're full of analytical people with maybe like one person that does some creative here and there you know so um certainly not the only Mm -hmm. industry like that but i think it's more unique than the dime a dozen marketing agencies out there yeah yeah that's a good point. And I never really thought about it that way, but you're right. I mean, I'm even thinking about the company I work for. I think there's only two create. I think me and one other person are the only creative people in the company. Yeah. And I mean, I it makes me think that. maybe I'm doing it wrong, right? Like maybe I should be a marketing <laughs> agency with a couple of creative people. But like, I feel like a lot of companies have marketing people, but they need help with creative, you know? Right. Right. So that's kind of where I chose to focus. And I think it's, I think it's hard for companies to find people who can play in marketing because it's really easy to measure somebody's success with analytics, right? Yeah. Do you know the analytics? Do you have the education to handle it? Have you taken an SEO course? You know what I mean? All those kinds of things. But it's really difficult to hire somebody who is creative. And yeah. because the creativity ebbs and flows so much, I think that's probably why you know the people who are looking at the numbers steer away from hiring a bunch of creative people because it's a lot easier to look at, okay, this person can give us an ROI consistently. We can measure that. But your creativity, you know, designing those kind of things, maybe not necessarily 100% of the time will it, yeah. you know, translate into numbers. So yeah. I don't want to take too much of your time. So let me get on to your last two questions here. <laughs> Best advice, worst advice you ever received. Yeah. So let's see. I think best advice came from Nick Staggy. He he started a company about the same time I did, and I'm only now starting to take his advice. Um, but we were talking about starting, you know, creative agency, ad agency, whatever. And he said pretty soon after starting his business, you know, he, you know, that conversation of working on your business versus in your business, right? And like, you can't grow if you're constantly working in your business, right? So he had that conversation with somebody very early on. And like, Mm. he just had bigger cojones than I did. And like, he (laughs) went out the next day and like hired somebody, right? And has continued to hire people. And now, you know, I mean, we started at the same time, and he's like got 10 or 12 people working with him. And I'm still like at 1.1 about to be two, right? (laughs) So he he like 
just jumped in and did it versus me that like waited until I got to a point where I could justify it, you know? So he just jumped in and did it and the work came and I let the work overcome me and then did it. Right. So Mm. I think I would have figured out a way to do that much earlier, you know, just based on what my goals are as a company is to, to have a real company and not just me by myself forever. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best piece of advice that I've gotten. And I, you know, it took me a while to follow it, but we'll see how it turns out. But, um, right now I'm excited to kind of get over that hump. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of worst advice. People don't really advise me a whole lot. So I don't know that I've really got a whole lot of bad advice. Um, I would say like the, the American education system kind of gave me the worst advice that I've ever gotten. This is kind of a, you know, not a specific thing, but just, just the idea that you need to go to school and get good grades and go to college so you can get an education and become hireable and be an employee and put money into your 401k. So maybe at 65, you'll have enough, you know, time or you'll have enough money to retire and enjoy your life. Right. Um, I think that's the biggest load of crock that there is, you know, and the, the more kind of on the entrepreneur business owner side and taking ownership and things that I do, um, I see kind of the fallacy of that societal, you know, impression that we make on kids and people as they grow up of just like needing to follow that rigid trajectory of, of becoming an employee. And, And there's nothing wrong with being an employee, you know, like, there have to be employees to be able to have cool companies, right? So there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But I wish that the system would have taught me about taking ownership and building your own personal brand and, and doing things to take ownership of your life and your career so you're not just constantly subject to you know, the whims of the corporate world and hirings and firings and layoffs and all that stuff. Like, you don't have to be subject to that. Like, you can you can do things to give yourself some influence or some control over your, you know, your career destiny. So it's probably, I don't know that that's like a specific, like bad advice, but I feel like that's kind of the way the world teaches us. And that is a wrap for this episode of the Try, Fail, Learn podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and review. We'll catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.